This podcast is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. We read from God's Word this morning as it is found in Psalm 119. Psalm 119. We begin our reading at verse 89. Psalm 119, verse 89. And we read from verse 89 through 112. Hear the Word of God. Forever, O Lord, Thy Word is settled in heaven. Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth, and it abideth. They continue this day according to Thine ordinances, for all are Thy servants. Unless Thy law had been my delights, I should should then have perished in my affliction. I will never forget Thy precepts, for with them Thou hast quickened me. I am Thine. Save me, for I have sought Thy precepts. The wicked have waited for me to destroy me, but I will consider thy testimonies. I have seen an end of all perfection, but thy commandment is exceeding broad. Oh, how love I thy law! It is my meditation all the day. Thou through thy commandments has made me wiser than mine enemies." for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep thy precepts. I have refrained my feet from every evil way, that I might keep thy word. I have not departed from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me. How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I have sworn, and I will perform it, that I will keep thy righteous judgments. I am afflicted very much. Quicken me, O Lord, according to Thy Word. Accept, I beseech Thee, the freewill offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me Thy judgments. My soul is continually in my hand, yet do I not forget Thy law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I erred not from Thy precepts. Thy testimonies have I taken as an heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform thy statutes always, even unto the end. We read that far in God's Word on the basis of this passage, all of Psalm 119, as well as the Scriptures. We have the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 44. 
Lord, say 44, regarding the 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. The Catechism asks, regarding that commandment, what doth the 10th commandment require of us? that even the smallest inclination or thought contrary to any of God's commandments never rise in our hearts, but that at all times we hate all sin with our whole heart and delight in all righteousness. But can those who are converted to God perfectly keep these commandments? No. But even the holiest men, while in this life, have only a small beginning of this obedience. Yet so that with a sincere resolution they begin to live, not only according to some, but all the commandments of God. Why will God then have the Ten Commandments so strictly preached, since no man in this life can keep them? First, that all our lifetime we may learn more and more, to know our sinful nature, and thus become the more earnest in seeking the remission of sin and righteousness in Christ. Likewise, that we constantly endeavor and pray to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, that we may become more and more conformable to the image of God, till we arrive at the perfection proposed to us in a life to come. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, here is the song of the child of God and His confession. Oh, how love I Thy law. It is my meditation all the day. It is not a boast to emphasize how I, I love the law. But it is an expression of that which God works in the heart of His children. I love the law. He's not talking about nice feelings necessarily that He gets as he considers the law, but a true love for God and His commandments. Do you love the law? If you had asked a psalmist who wrote Psalm 119, what is your favorite part of, or some of your favorite passages at least in the Bible? He would have said, the ones in the law. And out of love for the law, the psalmist wrote 176 verses about the law. Explaining them and confessing by the sheer number of them. His love for the law. That which he explicitly says in verse 97, Oh, how love I thy law. Jesus Christ Himself sings this 
and confesses this. When we read in Psalm 119 of the love of God's law and the keeping of the law, the first, the first one we ought to think of as speaking this and singing of His love is Jesus Christ who had perfect love for God's law. This is our Savior's word. Oh, how love I thy law. This is not only His word, this, this was His salvation, is His salvation. Out of perfect love for God and His commandments, He lived His life and accomplished all righteousness in our place. And there is no more that His people must do. In love for God or His law in order to gain salvation. For He has earned it all. But part of the Gospel is also this. So merciful, so glorious, so powerful is this Lord Jesus Christ. That He has not only loved God for us and in our place, and loved God's law for us and in our place, but having done so and having completed that for our salvation, He also works in us to love God and His commandments. He works in us so that we know Him, so that we believe this Gospel, and so that we in thankfulness Say, love God's law. I delight, Romans 7.22, in the law after the inward man. Not to be saved by the law, but to show my thanksgiving. That is what He works in me, both to will and to do. The Catechism on the basis of Psalm 119 and the rest of Scripture expresses a love for God's law as well, along with Psalm 119. The Catechism has done this already. We've seen it throughout the last Lord's Days in our series through the Catechism on the Ten Commandments. We have seen how the Catechism had, has at length and, and, and strictly described and applied every single commandment to our hearts, personally and experientially. Just as Psalm 119 does so the writers of the catechism uses, used many words, many verses as it were, to focus on the law. Because that's the believer's law. The law of God. It expounds the Ten Commandments. The now in Lord's Day 44, the catechism concludes with the Tenth Commandment. That Tenth Commandment we see in the catechism is not only... Number 10, the last one, which comes after the nine. But the tenth commandment is the conclusion of the entire law. It points us to every other commandment before. And as the Catechism explains, it forbids the smallest inclination or thought contrary to any of all of those commandments. In other words, the Tenth Commandment calls us to go deeper than the external keeping of the law. 
And it shines a broad beam of light upon us. Think of a broad searchlight, children. It goes this way and that. Shining down on us. Piercing, bright, glaring, convicting, humbling, exposing all our sin. The theme of the sermon uses the language of verse 96 of Psalm 119. I have seen an end of all perfection, but thy commandment is exceeding broad. Like that broad searchlight. It beams wide and deep upon our souls. The exceeding broad commandment. First, the broad law. Second, the beloved law. And finally, the preached Law, the broad, exceeding broad commandment that it is broad, it's beloved, and that it's preached. The tenth commandment shows us the whole law of God that it is broad, like I said, a a broad searchlight, or you can think of it this way, two children, like a broad sword. They sweep widely, and that God brings to pierce the depths of the heart. Thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not covet. And the tenth commandment specifies the neighbor's house, the neighbor's wife, the neighbor's manservant, maidservant, ox, ass, anything that is thy neighbor's. And so more narrowly, first, we consider that 10th commandment as forbidding envy and and any selfish desire for earthly things. That's the first meaning of this 10th commandment in in a more narrow sense, though it has broad application already. The word covet means to have a selfish desire of what your neighbor has on this earth. It could be your neighbor's house, the commandment says. It could be your neighbor's cottage on the lake. It could be your neighbor's palace in Byron Center. It could be your neighbor's house in a convenient location. It could be your neighbor's house already paid off instead of with a high mortgage or house rented. It could be your neighbor, neighbor's greener grass, nicer rooms, Better layout. It could be your neighbor's wife. The, ca- the commandment says the neighbor's wife that you don't have because at this time God has willed that you be single. It could be your neighbor's attractive spouse that on the outward it looks, she looks, he looks attractive more than your own. It could be your neighbor's spouse who has a more easy personality you feel to deal with, or a husband perhaps who looks like a better spiritual leader or a wife who is more submissive and helpful in the home. It could be your neighbor's servants, the commandment says explicitly, your neighbor's employees, his business that serves him well, his children that seem to be well behave and serve him well in the home. Or any person in life 
family member at church that seems to be more serving than my own family or church. It could be any possession, the commandment says. Ox, ass, anything that is thy neighbor's. His truck, his Corvette, that car that gets better gas mileage with all the high prices nowadays. Something on this earth with more room, faster, newer, which fits the trend. Sleeker, smarter technology. With that word covet the Tenth Commandment, though we're still talking about it in a more narrow sense, broadens to apply to many selfish desires which we have on this earth. It forbids the craving of lawful things. Lawful things. We're, we're allowed to have these things. It's not sinful to have them of themselves. We might even have money enough to buy so much of these things. But when our heart loves, trusts them as much as or more than Christ, we covet. It is idolatry, Colossians 3 verse 5. This materialism is what the Tenth Commandment speaks to. So rampant, so accused today, affecting this church. It covers the greed for food, for drink, for money, for power, for reputation, the praise of men, for the looks of another, for the bodily form of another, for clothing, for sports, for beer, for entertainment, for the phone. I can go on. Or anything on Amazon.com. Posted online. It gets to the heart of the post-mill theology. The seeking of man's kingdom is covetousness. The selfish desire for this earth. And it gets to the heart of the ah-mill reform man who says, I'm not post-mill, and yet pursues the same things to build his kingdom of man with the same covetousness. Any selfish desire, that's what covet means, which is idolatry. But more, now broader even, coveting is to have not only any selfish desire, but secondly, any sinful desire whatsoever. That's what the catechism brings us to. The word covet means to have any sinful desire whatsoever. That even the smallest inclination, the word inclination is another word for desire, a slight leaning, the catechism means. Or thought, contrary to any of God's commandments, never arise in our hearts. So while we have, may have a proper desire for earthly things, there are lawful things, there are many unlawful things as well. And any desire for any sin is already sin. That's what the Tenth Commandment shows us. It is to covet. 
The commandment is exceeding broad, Psalm 119 says. Broad means wide and deep. It gets to all your motivations, all your purposes, all your plans, all your ulterior motives. And not just to the outward action. Beloved, come, don't let this be a, an exercise where I list off how this commandment is broad and you intellectually simply say, yep, I knew that. But come under, come under this broad sweep of the law and examine your hearts using the language of the catechism as it explains how broad it is and how it applies to every aspect of your life. Notice, first of all, the catechism speak of the variety of the commandments that the Tenth Commandment applies to. Any, the word, any is important. Any of God's commandments. The Tenth Commandment, as it were, says, let's do a rewind. Let's go through the first nine commandments again so that you and I don't think of one commandment narrowly, but the tenth commandment says, all the other nine too, thou shalt not have any other gods before me. And breaking that commandment is not only serving another god or being a heretic, but any single error about God within our hearts. We may not have actually bowed down before an image, but any desire for a more entertaining form of worship is sin. We may, not, we may have come to church outwardly on, on the Sabbath day to keep that day holy, but when mom and dad woke us up early this morning, did it cross our mind? Be nice to sleep in instead. Outwardly, we may obey and show respect for our teachers and parents, but a single murmur within our heart. We refrain from hitting and killing the sixth commandment. Was there a spark of any anger against our neighbor? Never had sexual relations with anyone outside of marriage. But any heartbeat of lust is breaking the seventh. Not stolen. We haven't stolen, taken someone's stuff outwardly. At any moment that I thought, that's mine before everything is possessed by God. Not spoken a lie outwardly. It has any falsehood, even a suspicion, baseless suspicion crept into our mind about someone else. The Tenth Commandment says, go back, go back to all the other commandments. Any of them we may not break in the slightest bit. The broad law says not only negative, but positive too. Think about that. Positive. That brings us to our knees. 
Not only negative, the Catechism says, contrary, nothing contrary. We hate all sin. But now this, I delight in all righteousness. I delight in all righteousness. I not only put off and avoid every single kind of sin, but I put on every good. That's what the Tenth Commandment demands. From the perspective of every commandment too. That I not only avoid false doctrine in every other God, but I know all the doctrines that God has revealed in the Bible without error. I defend them all. Well, perfectly. That's positive. I not only avoid all images, but with my whole heart, I enjoy every element of every worship service constantly. I not only avoid blasphemy and taking of God's name in vain, but I promote the name of God in a perfect witness with my word and deed every moment of every day. I don't merely avoid work on the Sabbath, but the entire day with my whole heart, I devote my life to God, to His worship. I don't only avoid rebellion, fifth commandment, but I honor and I'm loyal and I desire to speak well of every authority in my life. I don't just avoid killing and anger, but I promote the health and welfare and name of my neighbor all the time. I seek it. I don't just avoid lust, but I love constantly my spouse, self-sacrificially, no matter what my spouse does to me. I avoid stealing not only, but I'm earnest in my desire to give up my possessions whenever I have opportunity to another in need. But we lying in falsehood not only, but I'm valiant. I'm valiant for the truth and for the name of my neighbor. You see how broad the commandment is? With my whole heart, the Catechism says thirdly, not just all, a variety, not just positive, negative and positive, but the whole heart. That means all my thinking, my willing, and my feeling in line perfectly with God's law. Whatsoever is true, whatsoever is honest, whatsoever is just, pure, lovely, of good report, any virtue, if there be any praise, that's Philippians 4, think on these things. Not the opposite. Every willing, meaning every choice in my heart before the outward action comes, I want always what is right. I'm motivated always with thankfulness. All my feelings. Never a sinful emotion. No rush of anger or sense of fear and anxiety. But always out of conscious faith, a thankful heart, feeling joyful in my salvation, serving God always. Catechism points to degree, not the smallest inclination, not even a slight bit of leaning toward sin. 
and an utter devotion, utmost delight for God, and a fullness of hatred against all sin while loving my neighbor perfectly. Perfection. And then time. Every moment. It never arise in my heart that at all times I hate all sin and delight in all righteousness all the time. Every millisecond of every day. The commandment is broad. And when we honestly examine the desires of our hearts with this broad sweep of God's law, that the tenth commandment forces us to see. We find ourselves, don't we? If you're honestly examining your heart and your life. I've seen, we say, verse 96, an end of all perfection. While I might have felt myself pretty close to perfect in doctrine and behavior for a moment, the broad law sweeps down. The psalmist is saying, that comes to an end. What a foolish thought. There's no way. We're not even close to being perfect. I've seen an end of all perfection. Many imagine, like that rich young ruler, remember, that approached Jesus. I've kept all the commandments from my youth up. And the commandment comes in his broadness. And we're crushed. Crushed. No. Not from my youth up. Oh, remember not, O Lord, my sins of long ago. The broad law exposes all those sins. Past and present and deep within. Paul says something similar in Romans 7, 7. I have not, I had not known lust except the law had said thou shalt not covet. He was that self-righteous Pharisee, remember. The Pharisee of the Pharisees. Touching the law, he said blameless. That's what he thought. And then he came to the 10th commandment and he actually discovered what the 10th commandment was saying by the power of the Spirit working in him. And then he said, I died, Romans 7, 9. The commandment came, particularly this tenth, I died. I died to myself, my self-righteousness, that thought of my perfection. And many today say, I know. It's true, I'm imperfect. with a tone of voice that it's spoken sometimes by myself too. It means, I know, I know I'm not perfect, but it's pretty close. And then we haven't been listening. Look at what the Catechism says regarding our imperfection. Can those who are converted to God perfectly keep these commandments? And underneath this broad law, the catechism answers, notice, 
not almost close it doesn't even say yes imperfectly and not even this we have a small beginning it says no Even the holiest men, while in this life, have only a small beginning of this obedience. If perfection were illustrated by a tree growing up with broad branches reaching to the heavens itself, then we are, or the holiest men are as a small shoot poking out of the ground. A small beginning. If perfection were pictured by a strong marathon runner running a race, sprinting all the way to the end, crossing that finish line without tiring, without faltering, then the beginning would be to stumble out of the blocks. And the catechism doesn't say that's all of God's people. It says the holiest of men have only such a small beginning. A tiny, minuscule, bare beginning. What does that say about us? If we're not Abraham and Paul and David, the holiest of men, we must have an even smaller Beginning. Barely a beginning. My life, my doctrine, my heart of holiness. This law exposes us for who we are. Don't let the error about total depravity there is an error about total depravity which would say that we are totally depraved just like an unbeliever identically in the same exact way without any distinction. Don't let that error make us swing to the other side and deny what Scripture shows is our total depravity as well according to our sinful nature. Yes, an old man which affects every, every part of me. Total depravity. O oh, wretched man, Paul says that I am. The broad law exposes that. And yet, when that law exposes our depravity, even after conversion, notice what the psalmist sings. Still, oh how love I thy law. The law is still beloved. For the child of God it is. Even though it crushes and it sweeps broadly and it pierces and it points to that darkness. I love the law, the child of God says. The law is a good gift. Romans 7.12 Wherefore the law is holy, the commandment holy, just and good. The law is never to be despised, is always to be loved, is never to be omitted. 
is always to be included in the life of the Christian. Be my meditation day and night. The law is good. It's antinomian. That's what the word means. Against the law. To despise the law. The law is good. It must have a large place in our worship service. It must have a large place in our life. It's good. It's to be loved. The child of God loves that law. By law, to be clear, I mean, and Psalm 119 means, the law as it is joined, though distinguished, but joined to the gospel. Don't mix the law and the gospel. Distinguish them and make sure that when we speak of the law, we speak of the law as Scripture does, and joined to the gospel. That's how the believer always thinks of the law. The law as enjoined to the gospel. This law I love. The, gospel, the, 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 the writer says, and we say with him, I love this law. Even this, verse 98, through thy law, thy commandments, thou hast made me wiser than mine enemies. Specifically, here's why the child of God loves God's law. Not merely because God says it is good and we're called to love it. But first, the catechism shows us it humbles man unto repentance. The law as joined to the gospel humbles man unto repentance. First, the last question and answer, Lord's Day 44, that all our lifetime we may learn more and more to know our sinful nature. God, by His Spirit, causes this. As we hear the law, as the law comes to our hearts and does a broad sweep through our lives and deep to our souls, it humbles us. Not just one time on a Sabbath day like this one, but it shows us, the catechism says, more and more, more and more, the darkness of our total depravity and our sinful nature is there and it remains but as the law comes, it shows us it's darker than we thought. Darker than we imagined. We see not just other people's sins, but as the law exposes other people's sins, yes, even those who have left us. And it shows us we're just like that. The effect is humbling. Humbling unto repentance, I say. It convicts. It brings us to sorrow. Hate. Or sin. Without the law, there will be no real repentance. Without the law, there will be no conviction for, of sin. Without the law, there will be no turning from sin. And the people will see no need to repent. The necessity of the law, the goodness of the law, that God uses it as it is tied and joined to the gospel to bring His people to repentance. Bow down in sorrow for sin, the psalmist, and we would sing with Him. Oh, how love I Thy law. It's not fun. It is good for humility. 
Second, it reveals the righteousness of Jesus Christ for faith. The righteousness of Jesus Christ for faith. The gospel. Thus becometh the more earnest, the catechism says, in seeking the remission of sin and righteousness in Christ. Remember, the law is not disconnected from the gospel. The law actually, as connected to the gospel, shows us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Learn how to read the law that way. Learn how to hear that law that way. As that law requires perfection. As that law requires the obedience to all the commandments, negative and positive, with the whole heart, to the utmost degree, every moment of every day. And it convicts us and humbles us. Don't stop there. You must see the law as a perfect description of Jesus Christ. That's what He did. Marvel at that. He had not even the smallest inclination or thought contrary to any of God's commandments. Never did any evil desire rise in his heart, but at all times he hated all sin with his whole heart and delighted in all righteousness. And here's the gospel. All that in our place, on our behalf, as our substitute. He didn't just suffer for us. He did that too. All the way to the cross. But while he was suffering, he obeyed this broad law perfectly so that God judges each of His people as perfect, perfectly righteous in Jesus Christ. That's astounding. And you have not yet understood how perfect this righteousness of Jesus Christ is Counted as yours. And so the law comes. Connected to the gospel. To humble you. And then to raise you up with confidence in Jesus Christ. So that you are more earnest, the catechism says, in seeking remission of sin and righteousness in Christ. That phrase, more earnest, is faith. Your faith is weak. You have faith. That faith needs to cling more earnestly and more desperately to Jesus Christ. And thus God gives us the law as that gift. His laws are not grievous for that reason. Because it shows us the rest we have in the beautiful righteousness of Christ. Beloved, you will not see the treasure of Jesus Christ without first seeing your bankruptcy with the law. You will not see the glory of Christ's humility unless you are humble and shown your stinking pride. You won't see the depths of hell He suffered for you unless you first see the depths of your sin. And you won't understand how glorious a righteousness is imputed unto you unless you see the great contrast in your life of how unrighteous you are looking at Jesus with confidence more and more. The child of God sings, Oh, how love I thy law. Thirdly, the law quickens. The law is joined to the Gospel. God uses to quicken us unto thankful activity of doing good works. 
Yes. Because that law comes from the very mouth of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And when He speaks the law, there is an effect to humble, to drive us to Him by faith, and to want, and to do with His good pleasure. He quickens, he quickens us. That's what the psalmist says again and again. Verse 88, quicken me after thy loving kindness, so shall I keep the testimony of thy mouth. He quickens us unto wisdom. The catechism says they begin to live. End of answer 114. They begin to live not only according to some, but all the commandments of God. He said earlier, the holiest only have a small beginning. And some twist that to say, well, God's people have no beginning at all. That's a lie. And God brings His law with the Gospel to His people. There is. There is a very, very small beginning. We are like the shoot that barely springs from the ground. We are like that runner stumbling out of the blocks. There's so much room to grow, so much farther before we reach perfection. So much more than we realize. And yet there's a beginning. And there is a progression. That shoot grows. Slowly as it may be, it grows. And that runner goes forward as much as he stumbles and might fall. He walks at least toward perfection. God brings His law to guide us unto that life of thankfulness and to equip us to be conformed more and more to Christ's image. No law. There's no growth. No progress. The child of God sings as he stands in awe of the mercy of Jesus Christ working in him. Oh, how love I thy law. For with the law and the gospel adjoined to it, it is an irresistible guide unto a thankful life of good works. And finally, the law increases hope. That's the last phrase of the catechism. Till we arrive at the perfection proposed to us in a life to come. That law shows us how, how sinful we still are humbling us. And how small beginning we have, though we have a beginning. And it makes His law with a certain perfection which will come. We will be made like unto Jesus Christ. You can't even imagine that. Because you don't know the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ completely. Perfect obedience to all the law one day. The child of God looks up, longing for his Redeemer to return. Soon, he will make me perfect. 
and the law. The law, and joined to the gospel of Christ's full salvation, gives us hope, more hope. With uplifted head, I look forward more to be delivered from this body of death. I love that law, not only because I love that law, I want it preached. The last question of Lord's Day 44 is important. Why will God then have the Ten Commandments so strictly preached, since no man in this life can keep them? That question, not just the answers, but the question itself instructs. Can I keep the perfect law? No. But this too. God wants it preached nevertheless. That's why He has it in the Bible. That's why He has it in the Heidelberg Catechism. Based on the Scriptures. He wants it preached and preached and preached. With all the verses in Psalm 119 in the Scriptures, with all the Lord's Days in the Law and the Catechism, God shows us, I want it preached, and frequently, and even with emphasis, preach the Law. And I just preach it, the Catechism says, strictly. Two words that start with A, that the word strictly tells us. Accurately. And applicably. That's what strictly means. You don't preach anything above and over the law or under the law. Don't require things that the law does not. That's legalism. Don't be soft and make the law seem not so broad. Accurately. Exactly what God requires. And applicably, strictly means sharply, pointedly, right to the specifics which God's people face in their life and their heart. It is supposed to strike you between the eyes and pierce your souls. It is the broad sword that sweeps and cuts you deep down, destroys your ego, so that you cry out, I'm the chief sinner. And it will seem tedious at times. Because it gets to the specifics. The catechism does, the law of God does. It must be preached. It must be preached in that manner. Some think that it's somehow reformed to avoid the law or to leave the application, the strict application of it, general, theoretical. Even said, the Spirit will apply it. 
Yes, the Spirit will apply it. But the Spirit will work with the preaching of the law strictly. Jesus Christ Himself on the Sermon on the Mount gave a sermon on the law, emphasizing the law and preaching it strictly, specifically, and accurately. Those who neglect the strict preaching of the law are unfaithful to God's Word and to the Reformed faith. The scriptures, Jesus Himself and the Heidelberg Catechism shows the strict preaching of the law, always with the gospel, always with the gospel, shows us how evil we are and drives us to Jesus Christ. And that is the power of salvation. Oh, how love I thy law, Jesus says. Oh, how I love I thy law as it is preached, Jesus says. And the people of God say, and I say to you as your pastor, it's personal. I love the law. I'm committed to preaching it. And you must hold me to the strict preaching of God's commandments. And anyone who comes to this pulpit, say to him, say to me, I want to hear the law. Not disconnected from the gospel, not mixed up with the gospel, but enjoined to the gospel. Hold me to that. Hold every preacher here to that. When you see, when you see any failure in the preaching also, though you address it when necessary, then you realize, don't you, that the preacher himself and the sermon comes under the scrutiny of the broad law of God. And it will expose weaknesses and sins there too. So that all glory, all glory, goes to Jesus Christ, the only perfect preacher, the only perfect man, the one perfect law keeper. Who gives the law? Who keeps the law for us? And then through weak means, very weak means, He preaches the law for your humbling, for your faith, for your turning to do good works for your hope, for your good, and for His glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, forgive us even in this hour for the broad law has and does expose us 
And there are yet so many sins yet secret to our consciousness. We thank Thee for Jesus Christ who fulfilled all righteousness in our place. And that He, as the risen and ascended Lord, does speak to us with His law by His Spirit so that we are strengthened in faith and holiness and hope and humility for Thy glory. For Jesus' sake, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to them to be notified as future messages are published. We welcome you to join us on Sundays for worship at 9.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org. Also, you can follow us on our Hope Protestant Reformed Church Facebook page. And you can email the Reform Witness Committee with any questions or feedback at hope rwc at gmail.com. Thank you.